All of life is holy. Everything is sacred. From the wash pots to the doorways, it's supposed to say, holiness to the Lord. Well, it's just exactly this idea that has led to a cottage industry of Christian trinkets. Because if it doesn't have a Bible verse on it, if it doesn't say Jesus, if it doesn't have a crucifix or some other explicit Christian or biblical reference on it, then it's obviously not sacred. And we can't use it because, as you know, Christians are supposed to be nothing but holiness to the Lord. Is that really true? Do we have to sanctify everything in this way? Is this what it means to truly live for the glory of God or to live for Jesus? Well, we're going to evaluate that idea and the whole so-called Christian culture that comes along with it. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st-century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Okay, thanks for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. And as we said before, we're going to take on this whole idea of Christian culture and everything having to be holiness to the Lord, and what does it mean to live for Jesus? Does that mean I have to have a Bible verse on everything, or the symbol of a cross, or some other explicit, oh, maybe a dove, that's right, yeah, you could have a dove on it, that would make it uh, sufficiently Christian. Uh, At any rate, joining us, as usual for this discussion, is Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church, and Reverend Moses Janbazian from Pasadena United Reformed Church, and I'm John Sautel, pastor at All Saints Reformed Church. Christian culture... Let me just set up this discussion so you get a little bit better. I mean, we're not talking about every form of Christian culture, but this seems to be the predominant one out there. It's illustrated very well by an article written by a a secular journalist. He's reporting on his uh, little trip to the Christian Booksellers Association. Just listen to it. He says, The CBA was nothing if not a marketplace. At 350,000 square feet, The floor of the convention center is nearly the size of eight football fields, including three halls, two outdoor eating areas, several restaurants. And over the next few days, this huge space would become home to almost 500 display booths, over 12,000 people, and even a special internet cafe. In its zeal to grow and serve its market, the Christian culture industry mirrors its secular counterpart. And then he goes on to describe all kinds of stuff you're going to find there. This is the the Christian culture trinket industry. Uh, Greeting cards, mugs, shirts, bracelets, necklaces, CDs, children videos, diet books, backpacks, even jigsaw puzzles, and decorative plates. Now, here's the thing that I really caught my eye in this article. All that stuff... Anybody's seen if they've gone to their local Christian bookstore. Yes, it's nauseating and uh, trivial, trivializes even culture itself. But this was one of the most interesting things here in the whole story. He describes the cash grab booth. He says, money, I'm not making this up, a catch cash booth with money swirling around. You stepped into it and grabbed as much as you could as fast as you could. I... 
I, I mean, when you hear things like this, of course we all let out the great collective sigh, but the fact of the matter is this is how the world views evangelicalism. This is how the world views Christianity as this mindless, trivializing uh, group of people who think that culture is all about putting Jesus on plates and cups and saucers and shirts. See, John, that's the problem with this show. It's just too cynical. Always you've got to come up with a complaint. Look, Christian people are trying to redeem the time, okay? they It's not so much they want to be holy unto the Lord, but they have got to use every opportunity that they have to get the gospel out to the nations, all right? So if their breath stinks, they got to have a breath mint that says Jesus on it, right? Or they got to chew gum that somehow is a play, the name of a gum brand that's now made into a play off some Bible passage so somebody can come to Jesus by getting offered a piece of gum. They've got to drive around with Jesus bumper stickers plastered all over the car or the Calvin and Hobbes sticker in their window bowing down to the cross. Anything to get the gospel message out to the nations. That's your problem, John. You're just too cynical. Well, yeah, I must be too cynical, and that must be the reason why this secular journalist uh, was resistant to all the glories of the CBA booksellers convention. I mean, it's calling the ungodly world to account that Christ is the king, and you're going to chew a piece of gum that proves it. Well, let me just share with you some more of this Christian creativity then, because I'm sure you'll be blessed by this. It's from uh, godstuff.com. Yeah. Godstuff.com, real clever little catchy title there for the internet. Redeeming the web. Well, that's right, you know, taking it back for Jesus. What will you find on Godstuff.com? Well, one of the best parts about the website to me was uh, the side of the website where it had a whole series of buttons you could click on. And I, I just start dying when I read this, but there's like a little category on there where you can click on mission trips and you can find out how you can hook yourself up with little mission teams to do short-term missionary trips while you're buying your Got Jesus bumper stickers. And then it also had a little place where you could go and share prayer requests <laughs> so you could get everybody on the internet praying for your problems. <laughs> but at any rate... um yeah, what can you buy at godstuff.com? Well, obviously you can buy, you know, the typical mugs and all that stuff. Well, how is the Starbucks generation going to come to Christ, John, if you don't have Jesus on your mug? Well, that's right. I mean, what, what better Christmas gift could you give to your unbelieving friends and neighbors than a Got Jesus coffee mug? Well, I want to share with you the, the sheer wit uh, and creativity and just the penetrating insight into culture that these uh, Christian trinket... Uh, people have here on the t-shirt section uh there was one of the t-shirts there that said uh, jesus the anti-drug <laughs> and then it had another t-shirt uh with two capital letters oc right because they're trying to get your attention oc right the the great hip cool uh tv show on fox oc and then teeny tiny little print only in christ <laughs> oh, that's great. I mean, isn't that these guys are really sharp at their craft. I think the the cleverest one on there was a t-shirt that had in big bold giant capital letters heavy drinker. And then right below that, you need a magnifying glass almost to see this, but it was a quote from John 7:37, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. <laughs> 
amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> like I said, the creativity is profound and cutting edge. Um, I think we should stop right there and just think about this. I mean, how are you being a witness for anything when it, when when you're you appear so mind numb and brainlit and brain dead? I mean, who who's gonna buy this stuff? I mean. I wonder if they ever stop well, and think that about. Well, it. apparently, apparently, a lot of people are buying. Do you mean actually buy their products or buy the message that's? No, intended? nobody buys the message. I, I mean, but I'm just thinking, trying to get into the mindset of the person who would actually click on that. And go, oh, cool! I, I gotta have that T-shirt. I'm, I'm gonna wear that. Well, do you really not know the answer? No, to that I question? don't. I really don't. Maybe stupid. I lived under a rock, but I mean, I'm just stupid. Saying, who buys this? Stu- stupid, brain dead Christian people who are taught to buy that stuff. And hey. About 10 years ago, I used to buy all that stuff because there is no substance to common what's called Christianity today. The mega churches, the biggest churches are on the street corners, are not really challenging people in submitting their worldview to the Lord Jesus Christ and actually growing in the grace and knowledge of the Scripture. They're just adapting various forms of entertainment, bringing it into the church. They're fulfilling people's emotional and psychological needs. And Anything goes in that environment. Whatever will titillate you, whatever is popular in the culture, you just baptize it, slap a little Jesus on it, and it's good. Well, okay, it's still, okay, I guess I'll leave it there because it's puzzling to me that anybody would look at, like, a shirt, heavy drinker, and think in any way, in any world, that that's, like, cool to wear or a message to, I mean— Obviously, maybe somebody think the shirt would be cool. Okay, I think I could. I've almost seen that shirt down at Venice Beach, walking around all the t-shirt shop. I think I've almost seen that there. But who's gonna? Who? Who is really gonna think if I wear this, I'm being witness for Jesus? I, I'm gonna lead somebody to Jesus when, but by the John seven thirty seven quote. You didn't grow up in these circles, John, so you don't understand the internal pressure that's put on everyone to put on a false appearance of holiness by wearing these t-shirts. I mean, a great one that I always remember, and I owned it and wore it very proudly at Christian camps going up, was the one that was uh, mocking or modeled after the Gold's Gym t-shirt, that very famous one. Oh, the God's one. Gym? Yeah, so God's Gym, and I own that shirt, and I think it was Samson breaking down pillars or something like that. But, but the reason why this stuff is so successful, and it's clear because the preponderance of the junk that's out there being sold with the name of Jesus on it, is because there is that self-fulfilling popularity of this so all you know your if your youth pastor or your young vibrant christian leader is wearing this stuff or wearing that bracelet or handing out that kind of piece of gum to show that he is godly you want to do it too and for you to be uh, truly godly the message you hear is to outwardly conform to these trivial forms of uh, holiness so called and scripturally you can see the same criticism that Jesus gives to the Pharisees you are making outward appearances but inside you are filled with dead men's bones and you have the same kind of thing here where people aren't being reformed by God they're not being transformed inside out they're just part of a group they know that the group has to have some meaning and so it all becomes externalized it's all a matter of outward behavior how you convey your emotions that you must always be happy and you're happy and you want everybody else to be happy but the idea of god's real lordship over every aspect of your life the fact that you are to submit your thoughts to god that's not really taught yeah the seriousness of public worship uh, where God is meeting his people. All these categories are completely foreign to modern Christianity. So they just adapt 
the trivial forms of the culture that we have today and baptize it and think that that's living unto God. A long, long time ago when I went to Christian school, I'll concede I remember seeing some of this stuff. And I can remember people talking about Jesus like he was Coca-Cola. And, I mean, that's kind of how everybody was taught. You could see to to talk about Jesus either in these really personalistic terms uh, and make a testimony out of, the, you know, a little gripping, dramatic testimony with, with, you know, a bathtub full of tears. Or you talked about Jesus like he was a cool name brand. And if you did that, then people would think, you know, oh, well, that makes their life better. They enjoy it. It's kind of like, you know... It's kind of like buying Coke or whatever makes your life better. Coca-Cola, that is. <laughs> uh, but um, I thought I thought that stuff kind of passed away. I mean, isn't that sort of passe now? I thought we had grown up or become more sophisticated and culturally savvy, so that's why we have, like, emerging church uh, and these different really cool alternative uh, subculture groups now within Christianity. I mean, is there still really this vibrant group of... This, the, is it that philosophy still vibrant and mainstream out there? Pretty much every youth group, I would say. I mean, it, it's definitely dominant among the youth because it's all based on drawing people in to an exciting program. And part of the way you show that the program is exciting is by everybody acting up and by having these sorts of things. And that's what it's going on. It's mostly in the youth level. It's not really taking place among the 40-year-old plus. Well, maybe, but, I mean, it's it's the 40-plus-year-old crowd that's marketing, yes. well, buying it for their kids and the marketing beast behind all of it. I mean, I'm not so convinced that, I mean, I think adults would look at some of this stuff and say, well, I would never wear it myself to the workplace, but I really probably should, and I'm going to promote it, produce it. And see that the younger generation is okay, wearing. Okay, so it. you're saying it's it's frag it's a fragmented part. It's a subgroup within the evangelical culture. I admire the zeal of the younger people that they're not embarrassed about the fact that they follow Jesus and they're wearing it. So I will support them any way I can. Right, the forty plus crowd is the one who's designing the youth groups and the programs in them. The ones that are supporting the Christian camps that take you know old rock and roll songs and change the words to make them Jesus songs. Oh no, that's Cartman from South Park. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Cartman from South Park. <laughs> the authors of Cartman from South Park learned it from somewhere, and they learned it from the reality of what goes on out there. I mean, I remember learning the song. Come on, baby, do the locomotion, rewritten to Come on, baby, do daily devotions. All right? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. Oh, no, I sang that at Christian camp with all, my, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I sang that song, and for two weeks, read the Bible every day. I was pretty happy with myself. That is so trivializing of anything that's important. It's hard for me to understand, first of all, how people could concede to doing, you know, that engaging that kind of folly to begin with, but... I guess the other thing that I look at here, and this is the total lack of creativity. Okay, this was happening 20 years ago when I was back in high school or whatever. I mean, you guys are the same boat, I suppose, here. Why didn't somebody ever think along the way to stop and go, well, maybe we should be a little bit more creative? Well, I think you're assuming that the people who are marketing it are, in fact, trying to be godly people doing something. I, I think that's probably a lot of cynicism on the part of the marketers, and they're saying, look, we can actually you know, pawn this garbage I off on the Christians. I don't know, John. It sounds to me like you're assuming that this is a thoughtful process, that, that you know, people sit down and they think, okay, what is the best way to get the gospel out, or what is the best way to redeem the culture, what is the best way to be holiness unto the Lord in every way in my life, and they really think about it, and they come to the conclusion, okay, let's adopt 
you know, the popular cultural forms and, you know, things in commercials and sound bites and put Jesus over them, baptize them and make them. So I, don't, I don't think people think at all. I basically, it's just a marketing tool that some people use and other people just follow blindly. Yeah, what you're seeing actually is that you've got culture having already captured Christianity and the Christians are simply taking cues from culture. They're not thinking original thoughts. They're not looking at building a new edifice. What they're doing is just sort of trapped in this world looking for somehow to lash out and express that they are Christians. And so it's, a, it's almost an act of desperation. Okay, well, and yet, no, no, wait, and wait. And at some point, we're just going to have to acknowledge, and we're always getting you know critiques that we're too cynical or whatever on this show, but at some point we're going to have to acknowledge that a lot of what is called Christianity has nothing to do with Christianity at all. This is, this is what I think. The reason why you see all this stuff, because people are not Christians, all right? They can trivialize all of this stuff because at the end of the day, deep down, fundamentally, they do not have a Christian worldview. Okay, well, maybe I, I'm not trying to suggest, well, hey, these people are trying to be deep thinkers or whatever. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say, if I look at it from a purely market or business standpoint, wouldn't I, if I, if my philosophy is that I just want to get the name of Jesus out there, um, and preach the gospel to as many people I have with coffee mu- as I can with coffee mugs and bumper stickers and T-shirts. Wouldn't I want to, just from a purely business, pragmatic point of view, be a little bit more creative? But see what your assumption is, that when you say you want to get out the gospel and preach the gospel, to them, believing the gospel and living the Christian life is having the coffee mug that says Jesus on it, is my point. Right. I, I agree, but so why, not why not be a little bit more creative? Why, why steal got milk... Uh, the cultural form got milk and paste over it got Jesus. I mean, why not think of something that is clever? I'm just saying for business purposes, if you want to make more money, do something that's unique. But there are enough, but it, clearly there are. there is a niche, right? This is the point. There are enough people who will buy this kind of junk well, that's, because okay. that's why it's so well, much of it maybe, is out there. Maybe these guys are actually very clever business and shrewd business people because they know people are just lame enough to buy into this and buy it that or they actually believe that this is what christianity is and it's not hard to get other people to enlist them along with them in the crusade for christ and trinketing the united states well uh i hate to leave godstuff.com but i got one other thing i want to share with you it's called huggyjesus.com <laughs> now for only twenty nine ninety five plus uh, seven dollars shipping and handling, your child can receive uh, this collectible, soft and cuddly hypoallergenic Jesus doll, and that way your kids will know that the Lord loves them. Does it uh, say that? That way your kids will know that the Lord loves yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, and the rest of it here. I just want to explain to you uh, how HuggyJesus dot com comes into business and how we have a Huggy Jesus doll. Sean Pinkerton, um, the genius behind HuggyJesus.com. Cultural revolutionary. um, Was in a bit of a down spot in his personal life. It was in the the post.com crash here. And um, he got fired. He wandered into church, destitute, and praying for the first time in his life. Sound familiar, huh? <laughs> uh, and here's what he said. As he was praying, he looked up and he saw a vision of Jesus on the altar. And Jesus seemed to be looking down to him. He seemed to beckon Sean to rise up and come in his direction. 
Jesus' outstretched arms and loving gaze inspired Sean, who was so sh- shaken by what he was experiencing, to cry openly. Tears were streaming down his face as he crawled onto the altar and gave Jesus a hug. I have called thee to make out of me myself a teddy bear for the nations. (laughs) Collectible, soft, (laughs) cuddly, and don't forget hypoallergenic. Well, uh... Oh, man. This is this is too good to be true. I mean, it's um, see, John, you know why you got to go criticizing another man's ministry? I mean, all we do is look around and poke holes in everybody else's problems and their approach to trying. Everybody's just trying to love Jesus in their own way. That that criticism might even be legitimate if people would say, all right, you know, you guys, we can isolate you. We've actually done some kind of a study, and we see that nobody else is critical of others. Only you guys are, but. Let's let's really be honest about this. The reason you have so many different things being attempted is because people have basically judged everything that the church has done in the 2000 year prior and saying, no, it's not good. It didn't reach people. It didn't get people engaged. And so I'm going to do something new. And so we're saying, no, we are coming from the church tradition. We are coming from the ones who have actually preached the gospel, who are connected to the apostles. And we're saying, what you are doing cheapens and trivializes Christ. It cheapens and trivializes the gospel. And therefore, we have some problems with it. So yes, Huggy Jesus, or whatever else they come up with next, is not gospel preaching. And it is certainly not useful for the propagation of the kingdom of God. Okay, well... Sure. It's not useful at preaching the gospel. They're sort of banal, trivial attempts. Uh, They're so superficial trying to uh, somehow connect Jesus to culture and our ordinary, everyday lives. We would all agree that, from a Reformed perspective, at least we should, that preaching the gospel is nothing but that, preaching the gospel by a man sent of God to proclaim the word. That's what evangelism is. But don't you think that it's not just um, soft-hearted, mushy-minded evangelicals who do this, but we have the same problem in our Reformed circles. Not for the same reasons. We, we, have, we have the whole Christian culture crowd that baptizes everything from soup to nuts with Jesus and Bible verses, not necessarily for evangelism, but because they feel guilty Guilty, guilty, guilty. If they are partaking of anything, whether that's cultural or ideological or whatever, unless it has Christian explicitly stamped on it. Exactly. Now we're getting somewhere. Let's get exactly to one of the points. You have a little child who likes to hug teddy bears, right? Now, is there anything wrong with that? Well, the proof is in the pudding. We make Jesus teddy bears, huggy bears, because somehow underlying our thinking about the world, we don't think that God's creation is good or that sin is so predominant in the world that we have to make everything explicitly, you know, Jesus-ish, otherwise it's sinful to participate in it. We believe that everything in the culture and everything in the world, unless it has become Christianized, is wrong. And this isn't just a problem out in evangelicalism, and as you say, it's a a problem in a lot of confessional, reformed, and Presbyterian circles. 
Okay, but what are the roots of this idea? Because if you go back to our catechisms and confessions, the writings of the Reformers, you don't see this notion anywhere. Well, the Reformers and the early Protestant scholars, they were actually very much steeped in the historic Christian tradition, and they dealt with the reality of God's natural revelation and natural law and understood that since all things are made by God in and of themselves, they represent God's goodness, his generosity to the people. His beauty, right? His creative brilliance and the manifold ways in which he expresses his beauty in his creation. Creation is, is basically good. Yeah, you don't need to drink water from a cup that has a cross on it or a Bible verse. The water is given by God, and it is good and should be enjoyed. Oh, but, if, but, but we have to sanctify everything by the Word of God in prayer. So, yes, we do need to drink it out of a cup no, that has a Bible verse on it. sanctify it with thankful hearts. You sanctify it by giving glory to God that he has been so generous to you. Teach your children that when they experience good emotions and the way when they enjoy life, when they're hugging a teddy bear and they feel emotionally satisfied, we give thanks to the Lord for creating us with these affections and with right. this, this joy in his creation. You don't have to put a cross on it. In fact, that trivializes the glories and the beauties of, of God and his creation. Well, you know, it almost strikes me as being more uh, in tune with the Anabaptists at the time of the Reformation who withdrew from the world and uh, created their own little Christian communes and Christian safe zones, and that's where they lived. This sounds a lot more akin to that than the robust, uh, life-affirming uh, goodness of creation theology that our Reformers had. M my question is, where does such an idea come from that we have to have it be explicitly Christian, Christian videos, Christian cartoons, Christian youth uh, basketball or athletic leagues, Christian absolutely everything, or it's unsafe to partake, or not just unsafe, but it's not glorifying to God. Well, we can talk, I mean, first about a couple of second, what I would call secondary causes to this problem. I mean, one of them is people have misapplied a legitimate principle, which is that they want to avoid sin. So they look around them in the world they see the local recreational basketball league sometimes breaks out in violent fights, sometimes gets so competitive that people hold, you know, personal vengeance against each other. Some people, you know, swear around children while they're playing basketball on the court. So they look at that, and because they want to avoid sin, they start the Christian Basketball League. Although, of course, anybody who's ever been involved in a Christian Basketball League knows that there's at least just as much sin going on in those leagues as other ones. But... Aside from so that that could be one reason, and and that's a, a misapplied good motivation for some of this stuff. But uh, another one is a broad philosophical view that every part, every square inch of all of the world has to be made explicitly Christian. That that is actually the application of the lordship of Jesus Christ over the creation. I mean, that's what's deep rooted in a lot of people's minds. You have to Jesusify everything, because Jesus said, all power and authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. So obviously that means then that unless it's explicitly naming Christ and bowing down to him, it's not under his lordship, which to me makes no sense. If he's lord overall already, how are you making it more subject to the Lord by putting a Bible verse on it. That's right. The key, but that's the well, application of this. It's not really thought out. Right. It's, the Scripture says, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, do it to the glory of God. does not mean you put Jesus' name on everything. It means that you enjoy the creation of God within the bounds of his law and appreciate him for the glorious creative God that he is. And you don't have to do that 
by saying Jesus Christ at every moment, every way that you do. Look, a lot of you that follow this principle, you'll just as soon go to the, the doctor who's not a Christian if he's the best doctor. And in that case, you glorify God because you give thanks to God. He has created his world. He has created the systems that hold it together. He sustains everything at every moment. He's given somebody a particular uh, intellect. He's given them in his providence a certain uh, superior training to others. And you glorify God by going to that physician. It doesn't have to be a Christian. Right. We watch sports. We can appreciate the, uh, the talent that certain people have, the most superior athletes in the world. We watch it not to worship them. And we don't have to call them Christ to and, and call it a Christian league for it to be glorifying sports. We appreciate God's creation, even though that person might be an unbeliever. It doesn't matter. I think you touched on something that's very important here and that a lot of you need to give uh, some serious thought to because the fact of the matter is, whether it's the Reformed world or the broader evangelical world, this is the dominant philosophy of culture, of entertainment, of how to live the Christian life, is that it has to have uh, Jesus all over it or Bible verses or it's not, you know, we all feel guilty for participating in it. And this is something you have to wrestle through, and you need to understand, first of all, it's not a preaching of the gospel. And second of all, you need to understand the fact that this is not Reformed theology. As we pointed out over and again here on this show, Reformed theology is life-affirming, it, it believes in the fundamentalist, fundamental goodness of creation, and it is always believed that Christians can legitimately partake in worldly callings, or let's call them earthly callings, uh, participate in the broader culture at large, as long as they're not involving themselves in sin, and they may do so, uh, not only with God's permission, but unto God's glory. And it's perfectly legitimate. And this is what Paul talks about when he says, look, if, if we, we're not talking about, in the context of church discipline, he's saying, we're not talking about distancing yourselves from everybody in the world who is a sinner, because in that case, we'd have to go out of the world. You know, the place where Christians need to think about separation and holiness unto the Lord is, you know, in the church. And being very clear about what we say in the church and how we live our lives as Christian people who have professed. And if we compromise those, you know, distinctions or we as Christian people sin against the law, then we need to absent ourselves from that. But we don't run away from the world and we don't give to the unbelieving world all the enjoyment of the good things that God has created and run away from it like we're participating in sin if we enjoy the creation with them. At first glance, we might blush when we hear stories of the secular journalists reporting about the Christian Booksellers Association. We might be a little embarrassed, but then turn the other way. But what we have to do in light of these things is respond to it as Christians who are thoughtful. And we need to not participate in this. And if you are participating in it, you need to stop. You don't need to feel guilty anymore. You can live for God's glory on this earth by partaking in the broader culture and the callings that God has given us. And there is absolutely nothing dishonoring to God in that. We want you to give full thought to this. Thanks for joining us on Sinners and Saints as we've been talking about so-called Christian culture. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge.